0: Hello, and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is my co-host, Joey. Hello, and how's it going? Today, we're talking about Die Hard. Mr. Takagi, I'm really not
1: interested in your computer. But I need the code key. Because I am interested in the six hundred and forty million dollars in negotiable bearer bonds that you have locked in your vault. And the computer controls
0: the vault. You want money?
1: What kind of terrorists are you? (laughs) (laughs) Who said we were terrorists? (laughs) This is an American Christmas action thriller. Directed by John McTiernan. The cast includes Corbin Dallas, Corbin Dallas, <laughs> <laughs> Professor Severus Snape, Carl Winslow, Richard Vernon, and a whole bunch of diehard goons. I, you know, when you look at these guys as uh, IMDb like their top billing. The top thing that they're known for is being in diehard. so it's just like goon number seven. <laughs> goons. Yeah, yeah. Well, I watched this movie on YouTube. How did you watch it, Joey? I watched on an
0: Amazon video. And uh, like we've been doing lately, we've been changing up how we do things on Affable Chat. We're actually going to give you a comprehensive recap of what happened to this film, just in case it's been a minute since you've seen it. So Joey, go ahead and give us that.
1: John McClane is an ordinary New York cop. He's hardworking, single-minded, and he has a strained relationship with his wife. You know, cop things. His wife, Holly, and their kids are living across the country in Los Angeles, so on Christmas Eve, he travels to California to surprise them. When he arrives, Holly and her coworkers are having a Christmas celebration. Everyone is having a good time, especially Ellis, one of <laughs> Holly's hornier, more coke-loving co-workers. John and Holly get into an argument about John's decision to continue living in New York while his family has moved to LA, and Holly's decision to go by her maiden name. However, they are rudely interrupted by a gang of international supercriminals who are there to steal some... Bonds? Not clear. <laughs> Holly is rounded up with the rest of the co-workers, but John eludes the kidnappers. Armed only with his police-issued pistol, a white tank top, and bare feet, he stealthily moves throughout the building, causing havoc. Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, is the suave leader of the criminals. His plan is well-executed and perfect. The only thing he didn't account for was John McClain. Gruber and McLean play a high-stakes game of cat and mouse. Gruber, unafraid to kill hostages and completely prepared to deal with the police or the FBI, ruthlessly hunts McLean, or at least sends his goons to get him, one by one. McLean picks off the criminals one by one, gathering (laughs) first a machine gun, then a radio, then some explosives. Eventually, McLean gets the attention of the LAPD by throwing a body out of a window. He talks on the radio to Al Powell, a local LA cop with a tragic backstory. The situation outside quickly becomes political with the chief of police doubting Powell's intuition and McLean's authenticity. However, soon the FBI arrive and take over, leaving both the chief and Powell powerless to help McLean and save the hostages. Meanwhile, Gruber and his goons are biding their time. They have the the roof of the building rigged to explode and have dictated some ludicrous demands to waste the police time. After several hours of drilling, they are getting close to getting into the vault. Uh, but all they have to do is wait for the FBI to cut the power, and the vault will open. Gruber is getting impatient with McLean, but soon finds an, up- an upper hand. The local news has revealed that Holly is McLean's wife, and that she is among the hostages. Gruber sends all the hostages to the roof, preparing to kill them, but he keeps Holly with him as leverage in case he runs into McLean. The FBI attempts to land on the roof, just as Gruber predicted, and he blows the whole thing up. Luckily, McLean scared the hostages from staying on the roof, and none of them got hurt. McLean makes his way down to the vault, Holly and Gruber. In a final showdown, McLean bests Gruber in a weird standoff involving packaging tape, and Gruber falls from the 30th floor to his death. McLean and Holly make it out alive with the other hostages and meet Al Pal in person for the first time. Suddenly, one of the bad guys comes back from the dead, and Al is forced to shoot him, redeeming his tragic backstory. Holly says his name Holly says her name is McLean, and the couple ride off into the early Christmas morning.
0: The end. That was fantastic. That was it. That was the whole movie. That's the whole thing, <laughs> pretty much packaged up. There's a lot in there that we'll get to, but first, we're gonna start with our pros and our cons, and I'll go first. What I liked about uh, the, about Die Hard was, um, well, first off, Bruce Willis is great. It's probably the youngest Bruce Willis I've ever seen. Uh, this is my first time seeing Die Hard, uh, and he was is he a great lead man. I think you know a lot of this movie is on his shoulders, and he does a great job. Alan Rickman is a fantastic villain his cadence the way he speaks is so unique uh i i really love to see him in this this uh like having a christmas movie action film is like a a kind of a unique angle and i think that that's a good thing uh and then this movie also has epic stunts um, and memorable dialogue so everything you love to have in an action movie what about you joey
1: yeah, absolutely. And speaking of like young Bruce Willis, I mean, uh, Alan Rickman actually like uh, got his start in acting really late in life. So this is also like uh, his first credit on IMDb is from nineteen eighty, and this movie came out in nineteen or no, sorry nineteen seventy eight, and his this movie came out in nineteen eighty eight. Um, but this is also pretty young, um, Alan Rickman. Yeah, well. I think
0: he's forty one in this, and he's uh, okay. And it, this was like his first like big like Hollywood debut. before this he was more known for like being a stage actor
1: yeah he's he's excellent in this um yeah this is a classic action movie it hits every beat perfectly um it's tense it's very simple there's lots of twists and turns and plenty of cool macho man moments it's pretty well written there's lots of like great setups on payoffs everything ties up really nicely it's a very economical script not a lot of wasted moments and there's like you just said Really great acting from Rickman and Willis and everyone else as well. Really impressed with everybody. What about you? So let's move on to our cons then. What did you not like about this movie?
0: I personally thought the gunshots sounded very fake. Like it was, (laughs) I I don't know. Like it just, I was like, huh? I I felt like that was like just obviously bad. I don't know. I'm not like a gun expert or anything, but um, I felt like the gun noises felt a lot to be desired. I kind of got used to it but it was really i don't know start not startling but uh sh- just distracting at first uh and then beyond that i felt like the hand <laughs> is
1: that what the gun sounds sounds sound, sound <laughs> that's what i said like? when i heard the guns yeah yes. oh i thought that's what the, like that's what the guns sounded like they're just like <laughs> no, they <laughs> every sounded- time somebody shot no, something they, i don't know they, they kind of sounded
0: like-, like um it sounded like a sci-fi gun like it almost sounded like they were supposed Bruh. to be some sort of un like. Okay. All right. (laughs) Uh, but also I felt like the hand to hand combat was kind of lacking. Like there was good action and stunts in this, but I wasn't a fan of the hand to hand. It just felt like they were kind of just struggling with each other. So what about you? What did you not like?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like the, um, the fighting is really clunky. Like the hand to hand is, and so is the, um, like the shooting. I, I don't know. Maybe this is just because we're spoiled by great action nowadays where everything's so carefully choreographed and like even stuff like dark knight rises which kind of has that kind of heavy clunky feeling to it is still like very visceral you know you can kind of feel the power behind the punches and stuff mm-hmm. whereas this is like it's way more like what you know what's happening here like it just feels so much more like wailing than it is like f- like fun chore- choreography and then like maybe that's like i think it's kind of a testament to this movie too because it kind of feels a little bit more gritty a little bit more like homemade in a way um but that's still like I don't know. It, it certainly is distracting and not as satisfying as it used to be probably um and it doesn't really have anything to say this movie isn't really about anything it's a it's about some guys in a building and a one versus one other guy in the building um that it's about as deep as it gets so
0: Okay. Well, those are our pros and our cons. Let's move on to our overall section. And before we get into anything, I feel like we have to address the quintessential Die Hard question. The elephant in the room. Yes.
1: The, uh, we- the reindeer in the room,
0: you might say. <laughs> <laughs> it's whether or not this is a Christmas movie, okay? And here's, here's my take, because this is my first time seeing Die Hard. So, for a long time, I've been unable to participate in this Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not Discourse? (laughs) Now that I'm finally qualified to have an opinion, because I've had to hear people talk about this ad nauseum, now that I'm finally qualified to have an opinion, I'm surprised there's even Discourse at all. Okay? This is definitely a Christmas movie. There's Christmas stuff all over it. From the Christmas party happening at the beginning, to the fact that it's taking place only on Christmas Eve, to the multiple Christmas songs that play in the movie itself. It's so obvious. I think that like the scene that really removed all doubt for me was the now I've got a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. (laughs) Shoehorning in a ho, ho, ho is something that only happens in a Christmas movie. Okay. This is so easily Mm. a a movie that fits into the Christmas category uh, that I don't even think it's worth having some sort of debate where you decide whether or not it is just it is and then we can move on.
1: okay that's not true (laughs) there is a debate here it's obvious like okay whenever someone says die hard is a christmas movie it's always like tongue-in-cheek you know people are always like you know and then like what's your favorite christmas movie And someone says die hard you're like ah ha, ha, you're funny and it's like this this thing where it's like somehow somebody like the the uh the all-knowing christmas movie gods made a list and somehow Die Hard snuck in there and it's just like this fun <laughs> bit of trivia that like Die Hard is a Christmas movie but like I think you have to like let's compare it like it's briefly to a movie that is without a doubt a Christmas movie something like Rudolph off the red-nosed reindeer or like elf or like jingle all the way or uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas what are the other movies that we watch for Christmas um we did other ones, too. Oh, Muppets uh, Christmas Carol. Yes, Muppets Christmas Carol is another one. Those are all movies that, like, no one's going to say that's not a Christmas movie. Those movies are about Christmas, right? They're not just set at Christmas. They don't have Christmas aesthetics. They are about the season of Christmas. They're about, uh, like, the gift-giving tradition, about Santa Claus, about the different mythology that goes around Christmas. Yeah, the Santa Claus is another one we did, right? It, it's about like christmas tradition it's about the holiday right this movie is set at christmas it has like a christmas theme to it i would say there are that they mention christmas very early on i think in the first three minutes they they say the word christmas but you're saying oh they have christmas movie music throughout they don't really have christmas music throughout they have christmas music at the beginning and the end um but they don't really have uh, christmas music throughout that's like a lot of you know generic uh or i shouldn't say generic but like Kind of normal action, uh, tense uh, score that they're using to build up the tension of it. You know, and you're like, there are certainly references to Christmas, but the movie is not about Christmas. I guess it depends what you categorize as a Christmas movie, right? Well, this is the problem: is that it becomes a semantic argument, pretty exactly about like what is like what is a Christmas movie? Like, does it like what do you define a Christmas movie as? My definition is not the same as yours, so therefore you're wrong. Well, because
0: if you're saying if a christmas movie is a movie that's specifically only about christmas then you Mm -hmm. could probably make the argument that there are some christmas movies that don't fit in that category you know because it's like well it's more about this or that right versus a movie that's appropriate to be watched at christmas and i think that Die Hard easily fits into
1: that category why is it why is it appropriate to watch at christmas because it's full of christmas stuff Because it's full of Christmas stuff. So it reminds you that it's Christmas. Yes. It fits the theme of whatever
0: is going on. I don't know. When I think of Christmas movies, I think, what do I watch with my family at Christmas? And -hmm. it's just stuff that has to do with Christmas. Like you can watch Christmas episodes of sitcoms where it might not necessarily be all about like the meaning of Christmas or even necessarily follow any traditions you're familiar with. But it's your characters that you like and now they're doing the Christmas thing. So Christmas, right? Okay. So I found this. Yeah, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. I found this article uh, on something called StephenFollows.com. and he says he used data to determine if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I kind of skimmed through it, but there's, he has this conclusion at the end, which I want to read from you. Go ahead. Um, the neatest summary I can provide is to say that there are many Christmas elements in the movie. Although the studio did not intend it to be a Christmas movie, some of the film key creators creators did. Either way, it's certainly fair to say that Die Hard is regarded as a Christmas movie in popular culture. Like it or not, the association between Die Hard and Christmas is a fast increasing in years to come, as its Christmas Christmasiness will be beyond question. So he actually has a, like a picture of some do, like a Google trends about like like, and it shows spikes every year uh, since like 2009, where like uh, where Die Hard comes up, and it's always in Christmas. So. Um, Every year, it it seems to be increasing to the point where it's it's almost like a feedback loop of, like, more people that say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, the more it becomes a Christmas movie because more people are watching or talking about it around Christmas, which makes sense. So, like, it's kind of, like, forced its way in there as a meme, in a way, like, like Poe's Law is in full effect here, where it's like, (laughs) uh, you know, it it suddenly was a joke that became real, so... Yeah, uh, I, from that perspective, I can like it's hard to deny that, and to say like to resist the call that uh, Die Hard is Christmas movie is to resist uh, like the zeitgeist, you know, like you're, yeah, you're fighting exactly. you're fighting the changing of language in a way which is useless. So. um Yeah. I I just feel like you could
0: make Die Hard definitely not a Christmas movie. You just set it on a different night and you remove some of the lines and change some of the music, but then you've got a different movie. That's not what the movie we have here. We have Die Hard, which. Intentionally takes place on Christmas Eve. It has some family values in the sense where it's like a guy trying to get back with his family. You would do like a Christmas redemption arc, and yeah. it it does. I think it takes its own unique angle on Christmas. Christmas is different for different people in different circumstances. Sometimes Christmas is
1: just surviving a terrorist attack on Christmas Eve. You know. You know so, this. This is interesting because like, um, like uh, it reminds me of the of uh, Terminator. A uh, uh, Terminator is a time travel movie, but. It has very little time travel in it. He uses time travel as a conceit to start the plot, um, but from then on, it's just about a robot chasing these people down, right? Same thing here with Die Hard, that Christmas is used as the catalyst for the, for the movie, right? John McClane would not be um, with his wife unless it was Christmas. Uh, the terrorist chose Christmas Eve as the... Date of their attack because they knew there's going to be less security and because they knew everyone's going to be one place at one time. You know, it's very, it's very specific. That's not really. It's kind of implied. They don't really say that as much, but you can, you can infer that. Especially since Hans Gruber has thought out this plan so perfectly, right? Why right, would he choose right. this holiday? Other, why would he choose this day any other way, right? It, it's got to be for some reason. And if you think about it for a minute, you can, you can come up with it. So, um, in that way, you could say like Christmas. This movie could not happen without it being on Christmas. Um, But again, like, not explicit, right? It, it's kind of an implied thing. You're kind of ha- making connections that aren't necessarily uh, explicit there in the movie. Uh, and that's kind of a, the danger you get into with a movie like this because it's such a cultural touchstone. Everyone has thought about it way too much at this point, point. and so it's. <laughs> well, like right, I you, think I think we get spent... all these things that are non-canon that just end up putting themselves into the movie. So
0: right, and I think that we've spent plenty of time on it. I think we've dealt with the <laughs> the elephant in the room here. I think I'm a little more bullish on my opinion of uh, <laughs> okay. of of what. Whether or not this is a Christmas movie, but I don't want that to be the only thing we talk about um, okay. So let, let's
1: let's move on. Okay, so die hard is a classic action movie And it's really easy to see why it's fun It's tense and it's full of lots of twists and turns It really does press all of the buttons in just the right order and I think it succeeds for many reasons It's hard to just isolate just one um, So the first thing I want to talk about is the characters all of our char- all of our main characters are well established and they all drive the story forward. So each of our each of them is fleshed out really nicely. You got Holly stepping up to be the spokesperson for the hostages, completely masking her fear for the sake of her colleagues. Al, with his charming demeanor and no-nonsense attitude, you know he's challenging the chief and the FBI, like even though they're his superiors. Um, even Ellis, who you really love to hate, um, is a bit more complex than he first seems, um, and that that's also you know a great element to this. It, it adds some color to this world. And of course, you got John McLean. He's our exceptional everyman. Um, it, he is really just a normal guy who makes mistakes. He's sympathetic, but you also see that he is wrong. Um, and he and he sees that too. It just takes a hostage situation for him to realize it. He also makes mistakes when dealing with the criminals, but he turns those into opportunities um, and makes the best of it. He's also very rational and clear-headed, which is very satisfying to watch because it raises the stakes of the movie. Likewise, you got Hans Gruber, Gru- uh, Hans Gruber, the uh, leader of the international criminal organization. He's very suave, charismatic, and he's scary too. You want to see him win. Um, in a way, at least against the the police and the FBI. Uh, but his plan is complicated. It seems like a really good plan, and that makes you really respect him. Um, but He's also so slippery, and he plays dirty. Um, and he, again, like, because he seems so methodical and cold, that raises the stakes of the movie. It's Han's best day against John's best day, and both are operating at full capacity, and only one of them can win. Right? Yeah.
0: No, I actually, like, On our last episode, which also had Alan Rickman playing Professor Severus Snape. (laughs) Yes. um, I was so uh, frustrated that there wasn't enough Alan Rickman. And I finally got what I wanted out of him in this movie. He's so well utilized, uh, especially with the way that he is so confident in the face of a changing situation. Because that oh, was yeah. the thing that always impressed me. It's like, well, the cops are coming. Why aren't you, like, what's wrong? Like, Hans, how are you not panicking now? He's like, no, this is all part of the plan, you know? And it's and all and part of the plan. Yeah, yeah. and no, it's this so is just good. Like, this
1: is just a matter of inconvenient timing, he says. Yeah, <laughs> and
0: it's it really feels like they're going to succeed with their plot no matter what happens. Uh, it's right. just a matter of whether or not the hostages will live or, or uh, John gets out alive. But it always exactly. seems like they're dead set on accomplishing their mission.
1: And it seems like they're going to, and, and and like you love seeing like a plan come together like that, you know, you especially one that has so many different elements that you don't quite understand yet, and seeing that reveal that the FBI is like they're counting on the FBI showing up to cut the power is like you know it's really satisfying because you it's like oh man this guy's real smart you know he understands this better than the the people that are supposed to understand this yeah um, and I
0: and I know that you uh, I like how you said they really flesh out all these characters they did a great job of setting up Hans Gruber as this like I don't know tough guy maybe there's a better word for that but when he was taking Takagi away from the rest of the crowd and they're talking and looking at the miniatures and you hear that he reads Forbes and just kind of the uh the his cadence and the way he emphasizes his words and that leads up to him actually blasting Takagi in the face it's like super uh like you know criminal thing to do uh right. and then that sets him up for the rest of the movie to be really scary you know a great villain to go up against our john mclean
1: yeah well it makes sense too because he was always intending to kill the hostages right and get out with the money um use them as like kind of bait um which is i mean that's interesting and so that means that his killing of this of ellis and of takagi makes sense like they're they're they were all expendable as soon as they he stepped in there so um it's just like a it's it's an interesting element to this movie for sure and he's um he definitely brings that he's like a he's like such a quintessential villain um that it brings it all together and like that's the thing about a movie like this it's like you just take all those characters you know you put them in a building um and you like it's under construction and all these unique sets that you can play with and then you just like see what happens basically right it's it's not so much like um it's not so much like They want to see John jump off a building that's exploding as much as like, well, you know, uh, it makes sense. They'll call in a chopper and then they're expecting the FBI to to booby trap them or trap them somehow. So they'll try to blow up the chopper. So it makes sense that they'll rig the building, the the roof with explosives. Right. And how they'll set up the situation. It just feels so natural. Right, it doesn't feel like oh we're gonna have this and we're gonna have this crazy scene where Hans and uh, and McLean are talking to each other and they don't know who each other are necessarily or like they don't know no, the, some of the information is not revealed and they're trying to suss each other out you know like uh, that like that's really fun but like the way they got to that point also felt so natural and it felt like. Oh, we can we can play with this with our with the characters we've already established. Which Definitely. We're not gonna shoehorn, we're not gonna, you know, make this happen by pushing all these little elements. We're gonna naturally see what happens when we put all these elements together and uh and let it play out basically.
0: Totally. And it yeah, it felt like John was doing what the it felt like John was doing the smartest thing as things progress, not right. just the things that set him up to be an action hero. Like yes. for instance, pulling the fire alarm and trying to get the emergency services there as soon as possible that's smart not being like i've got a machine gun i can take everybody out now this is yeah the plan. exactly it's like no, no i'm gonna do everything in my power to not have to do that which makes it that much more satisfying when eventually he does have to do that because all the other things fall through in a logical way
1: exactly you know and and you're like that makes you root for him because you can relate to him right he's just a normal guy who's like in kind of a a weird situation and like he's not i mean he's not really a normal guy because he gets very lucky and that's the other thing too is they they emphasize how lucky he gets too they you know he there's that scene where uh carl is shooting the air vents and he's like see that bullet hole that's like really close to his head he's like yeah like he could have died right there and that would have been the end of the movie but yeah you know, like, uh, there's so many moments where, like, they just miss him, basically. And you can, they play that up. It's like, you know, this is a once-in-a-blue-moon situation. You know, nothing normal is happening here. You know, like, uh, the fact that he's surviving is just is, is luck and skill combined. Um, and you kind of have to, it's just seeing what's going to happen. It's, it's There's nothing special about John McClain that makes him bulletproof, right? It's just that um, he's kind of a, he's had one bad day. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so uh, everything just runs so smoothly throughout this movie and, and it's not easy to do the premise and the conceit are very very simple but the story itself is kind of complicated which is something i kind of ran into when i was writing the recap you have all these like parties with conflicting agendas han's plan has multiple steps and lots of delicate timing the whole thing with holly's last name is like you know this kind of weird um element that like they kind of move back and forth throughout, and it's like it plays multiple roles throughout the movie. Um, each reveal is satisfying, but it also makes the story more complicated. And the elements are are just balanced so nicely because um, it's not just like oh, they're in the movie he has to pick them off one by one. Like it just gets gets the situation just constantly changing with new players being introduced, and McLean have different different tools at his disposal. So it just makes the situation different every time, um, and he has to adapt, and you have to see the criminals adapt as well
0: definitely and the the heist itself is not so simple either it's not literally like break into the vault and steal the money which is essentially what it is but it's they have to drill they have to cut these cords and then they have to drill through these six things and then but the seventh one has to be done remotely and only a miracle would be able to make that happen and right, if you right, want right. a miracle i give you the fbi you know <laughs> like all that stuff it, it's complicated and kind of like Nebulous in the at the end of the day, but the way that they progress through it makes it more interesting because it, it the FBI coming in complicates things in a sense for like who's dealing with the crisis situation, but it also ups the ante as to what's possible, like taking out the power for an entire section of the grid. So yes, uh, I think that all yeah it is balanced nicely and, and tied together uh, in it in a way that's neat,
1: absolutely. But kind of despite all of that, I still leave this movie with kind of with a resigned feeling. It's not any one thing that stands out to me it's kind of just a it's just kind of feels hollow in a way when i finish watching Die Hard, i don't think wow that was the best movie i've ever seen i'm not like i never moved by the dialogue or the action like i am in uh, other movies i'm not screaming at the tv for john mcclain to get those bad guys it's kind of a vague like yeah that was fun and good Maybe I'm just spoiled by the amount of like great action there is out today, um, but I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I feel I,
0: think- I feel a similar way. Like it, without, I think part of it definitely comes from the fact that this movie has been so, you know, highly regarded for so long, and it, right. my, I'm finally catching up. So I don't think I'll, I'll ever reach that level that people were seeing this in the late '80s. But uh, but I see what you're saying. Like it, it is kind of. Yeah, there's some, it's it's not transcendent in the way that like some truly great movies are.
1: It's uh, it's maybe it's unfair to say that because I'm sure it had such a big impact on action going forward. You yes. know, I think a lot of act, like very good action movies today are probably could trace a lot of their roots to Die Hard. Um, and so it's not really fair to say like this is such like you know this is a bad movie necessarily. It's just oh, like no. it doesn't it doesn't hit that. Uh, it doesn't resonate with me the way it seems to resonate with other people. I think the biggest issue I have with this is it it feels so surface level. It's just about a guy in a building fighting off a bunch of other guys in a building. They don't really represent conflicting ideologies of morality, kind of like uh, point break claims to be, you know, Uh Uh, where you have like these two conflicting ideas of like how the world should work. And although it's not really fleshed out that well, it's like that deeper element to it that makes you really kind of consider what this movie is really about. Um, or or it doesn't really bring up themes about like the role of the police you know john mcclain's uh, job is to protect corporations just as it is for every police officer (laughs) so like (laughs) like like, obviously the bad guys are bad like they kill lots of people who are intending to kill everyone but like they're just kind of like like anarchists in a way they're like in there to to, they say they're that they're going to take this uh company's like uh profits for like 10 days and they're not even gonna like suffer for it you know yeah like they're gonna have to rebuild the building i guess but like it was under construction anyway so like the the ultimate harm that they were attending to do was just to kill a bunch of people which was like you know obviously bad but they didn't know that at the beginning you know at the beginning they were just uh you know hostage takers or bank robbers or something you know right so yeah um nor is it really about like a toxic masculinity even though this movie just like stinks with testosterone um, you can just feel the like macho man energy coming off of these characters I mean there's so many moments where like um, they're like don't kill him I'm gonna kill him you know what I mean it's just like <laughs> come on Are you serious? He's mine. He's mine. No, mine. Yes. Or like at the end, where they have that standoff between Gruber and uh and McLean, and he just and McLean just starts laughing, and Gruber's like he's also laughing (laughs) as if like like toxic masculinity goes in so deep that like you can't not laugh at a joke another man is laughing at because like uh, the fear of looking dumb like it's so silly. Okay, but
0: (laughs) while all that is true, I do want to praise like some of the progressive aspects that I was surprised to see in a movie from 1989. Uh, which is like the John's understanding of or John's, way of dealing with his wife's demanding career because he comes into it totally resenting the fact that his wife has a career that's, you know, just as demanding, if not more demanding, than his own career. Right. Which it's mm-hmm. definitely a uh gender norm for the man to be the breadwinner, for the man to have the job that does all the that causes them to move and all that stuff. And and then for the woman to uh kind of follow him around and and let her life be decided by what his career is. And this is the opposite. In fact they push it to the extreme where she even changes her last name because of the, the norms of the the company. She's a co- the company culture. Cause it's a Japanese company. Um, uh- so she, she goes by her maiden name and uh, John legitimately has his mind changed and admits that he should have been more supportive of her, which I was like, wow, that's crazy that they get this manly man are the, probably the most macho of the macho men in this movie is like <laughs> my wife sh- is, bre- is the breadwinner. Like she should be able to have this career. And I was wrong for not supporting her more uh, And which I thought was not an idea I would see from a movie like this
1: sure i mean definitely and i th- I love holly in this movie everything that she does i think is great but in the end she's uh, she's a prop she's used as a damsel in distress right and and in the and like there are no none of uh gruber's goons are female you know they're all but, like tall white but guys they, except for theo who has glasses and is black like that's the only thing yes. makes, and he's a hacker too so he's a little bit more unique than the other ones right but like but like you know it, but let me, <laughs> I let me like, point this out because another
0: go thing ahead. that sucks about anytime terrorists are portrayed in movies is they're almost always Middle Eastern dudes with and they, mm-hmm. you're, there's kind of an implication as to who terrorists are and it's a, kind of a racial commentary. Another thing I liked about this movie was they were like, oh, it's just multinational terrorists. Like, they're German, they're Italian, this guy is clearly Asian and, they, and this guy's black so it doesn't matter that like what race they are. They're terrorists and we're not trying to throw any one particular group of people under the bus for the sake of this fictional terrorism group.
1: Sure. But also, like, that's, like, a, you know, that's a trope coming after 9-11, too. Like, true, true. Kind of, kind of that, like, that's more recent. The, um, it, uh, but, that, but there is that, though. It's kind of, in a way, like, about, like, how, like, American exceptionalism, in a way, right? About how, um, like, only, only one a normal American cop, like, one normal American cop versus a bunch of, uh, like non-americans uh, suave europeans you know like who's gonna win like it's it's so like it's such a like a celebration of like the m- like american man culture in a way you know it's like and, yeah, and even that moment where he has where he's uh He's like saying he was wrong. He's doing it like when he thinks he's about to die. You know, when he has literally nothing to lose at that point, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like if that's what it takes for you to admit you're wrong, like there's something more deeply wrong with you. Because
0: I look at that as somebody who is at death's door and now they have clarity. They're realizing what's important. He wasn't definitely gonna die, but it was a good chance. And he had a chance, yeah. he had his opportunity to make amends in in a way, by at least writing some wrongs before he potentially died, uh, so sure. I think that you can you can take a give him a little bit more credit uh, in that situation. But uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I was I was surprised.
1: Uh, none of that is like I don't know. I I, I like the, those elements. It certainly adds a bit of complexity to it. But this movie doesn't address those directly. You know, and sure. it, and it does. I think the right thing. Right. It gives it gives uh, McClane that that arc with Holly, which I think is well deserved and satisfying. But it doesn't. That's not like a big part of this movie. It's not like like taking advantage of like a certain way men think or anything. Sure, at the uh, end of the day,
0: Holly is the damsel in distress, and and, and, like the the biggest most pivotal thing that happens is that John is reunited with her at the
1: end. Yes, and get he gets the grill, and, and that's how we know the movie is ending gonna happen. Right, um, the <laughs> and like Hans and and kind of have this like like kind of uh, like. Weird respect with each other, like they talk on the radio and stuff. And McLean is like is is appealing to him not to shoot the uh, the cops and everything. You know, he's he's, he's like trying to uh, appeal to his like more professional side. And and even when he's fighting off, uh, what's his name, Carl? He's like, we're both professionals, but this is personal. And you know, like like they're both like acknowledging like this is just the job that we're signed up to do. But one of us has to die. Like it's just it's so like I don't know like disconnected from like emotion in a way that it, it it feels so like um i don't know wrong or or weird or just like twisted yeah so. yeah
0: i mean that's maybe that's the kind of a guy who has to who decides to go for a life of crime cuz i did think it was interesting <laughs> that carl gets so obsessed with like killing the guy who killed his brother that he allows yeah. himself to get killed it's like you saw him <laughs> shoot him you've got a gun literally pointed into his cheek Pull yeah. the trigger if that's how you feel. Instead of being like, this time it's personal. You know, it's like, right, okay, right. you idiot, you deserve <laughs> what you're gonna get from John McClane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. I think these are not this, like I don't know how much this takes away from the movie. I mean, it certainly feels like missed opportunities for me. But it's hard to criticize the movie on any of these any of these like like issues for me because or take it very take those criticisms very seriously, because people love this movie. they've loved it since it came out. Um, it's very economical with the script. It does what it's out to set out to do very, very well, and I, I don't know, I guess that's just not enough for me, so
0: fair enough um i I mean, I think this is a we're having a long conversation here, but I can say briefly that i I did like this movie a lot, but I don't know if it lived up to all the hype that I've lived you know, but again, that's a unique place to be watching die hard for the first time in 2020 i'm a little late to the party as far as like what the hype should be surrounding so i don't want that to impact my opinion too much i mean i think as an action movie this it delivers right we've talked about that like one of the things that i think it does a great job of is taking advantage of being a rated r action movie um like we talked about before takagi getting shot in the head i thought was cool the way that his blood splattered on the door uh the uh like the glass in john's feet was disgusting and and again utilization of uh of that which actually we should talk about the feet thing i think that having uh like the that first line is so bizarre, I think draws you into this movie immediately. You're like, wait, what? Are you that's how you that's how you survive air travel? Because here's the thing. You survive air travel by doing something after you've flown. Shouldn't you do something before you fly? It's like I'm scared of flying, so what should I do? Uh do this thing after you fly. Okay, that didn't help. You know, I need to survive the flight now, not after. Anyways, like I understand it's just like oh, no, settling kind your of nerves or that. whatever after but.
1: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to look forward but to
0: regardless of what I think of that as a practice for actual flying. It's so great how that line impacts such a large portion of this movie. I think that's super creative and it's something that makes uh, Die Hard really unique. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that that was a part of this. But also, uh, the scene where they shoot that guy's kneecaps out, I thought that was awesome. I wish that there had been more shots like that where they, like, zoom in on just his knees and you just see them explode in, in bloody violence and, and then he falls and crashes his head through some glass. Like, that's what I want to see in a great action movie. So I, I'm I'm glad that they yeah. had stuff like that. Like, it gives this movie an edge without going overboard. And uh, and, and on top of that, there's, like, there's plenty of guns going off the whole movie and explosions. Like the, 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 conclusion scene of rush hour one could learn a thing or two about the utilization oh, yeah. of C4 from this movie. Great explosions throughout. And, um, and I already talked about how I, I didn't think that the hand to hand combat was all that great, but I did find out that Bruce Willis performed a lot of his own stunts for this movie. and actually seriously permanently damaged his hearing, uh, really with, yeah, with, uh, by, like that, that scene where he jumps off the building and there's an explosion behind him. Um, also, the Alan Rickman fall is iconic. That is such a cool shot, and oh, yeah. it was at the time almost impossible to get because it's it was impo- you, you you can't manually adjust a lens to uh, focus on somebody who's moving at that distance. Like I, I don't know, I like, read an article about how it, it, just, it just wasn't possible. So they had to create like a computer program that would adjust the uh the, the focus like using math and it would it was still almost impossible to do you get to see all of the usable footage they had in the movie because they wow. said right right after that it, it loses focus and it's unusable is that so, funny when,
1: he, when he's falling when you see his face and he's falling off yes. the building okay
0: and then there's a stunt double who you see actually fall the rest of the way yeah from that's crazy
1: that's such a long distance i just rewatched that part and it's so far i mean it's cr- you're in the air for like a 10 seconds or something it's yes. so crazy and, and the actual yeah
0: and the scene but but like the scene where alan rickman is looking up i also read that they didn't they they, they did the countdown wrong so that they could get a a real reaction i
1: i read record. that too it's pretty crazy yeah.
0: <laughs> So um yeah, so I thought the stunts were great. As an action movie, this this movie definitely delivers. Uh, but I do, I do think uh they do have some sort of commentary on bureaucracy or maybe just like the levels of responsibility throughout like the government. I guess uh-huh. because this starts off with a like the the as like responses to the hostage situation we have a street level cop who shows up and he discovers that there's something going wrong even though he almost doesn't uh he he ends up calling in for backup and then the chief of police shows up and he starts calling the shots and he's getting everything wrong you know he doesn't care about john mcclain or any of the information he's giving out he's gonna do it his way so he's gonna try to solve things that way and then After the FBI come in, they chain of command him, and they just start doing things even wronger. They are blatantly like, "Oh yeah, we're okay with losing some some uh, some hostages. We can kill some hostages on accident as long as we get the job done. That's the way that we do things, right?" And then I think the movie is trying to tell us it's like all these people are too far removed from it. The only people who can really solve the problems are the street level cops, like like Al and John. Definitely, they're the ones. Like they're the ones, the mavericks who are gonna get the real the, the job done, and uh, and and like they show the FBI guys are buffoons who get exploded and die, and the chief of police constantly out of the loop and making stupid decisions. But John and Al, now there's the two guys who can get the job done. Uh, I don't know what that means in like a larger picture, but it's clear that that was what the movie was trying to get us to agree with.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, it, it's definitely that's definitely the case. Like it's like. You know, these guys don't understand, you know, us working class guys who are down the street. We're like, we really get it. Yeah. Um, which I think is, you know, I think there's an element of truth to that. Like having worked in like factories and stuff like uh, the guys on the floor definitely understand the situation better than the people in management. They almost all the time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people in management don't care or don't know what's going on or, or aren't listening to the people on the floor either. So like it's uh. I don't know. It it, felt it's just like, like the... It it's felt just like a the... classic like, oh, like like um these guys who think they're better than me actually are are just bad at what they do and that's why they're there. You know, it's a Peter yeah. Principle type thing.
0: Right. Well, it, it felt like they were setting up for some sort of social commentary, but I feel like it just never came. It's just mm. like everybody's incompetent except for like us (laughs) okay Um.
1: (laughs) everyone is stupid except for me
0: (laughs) yes exactly and it's like i mean it definitely makes me root for john because we did need him to be the uh the hero and and actually solve the problem but uh and maybe that's all that they were trying to do but they did have some tangible commentary on news media the
1: (laughs) tell me (laughs) you got that Tell me oh you got that. God, dude. Dude.
0: They don't and, and again it's not a very nuanced take. Basically, their take is news media bad. News media is just airing out dirty laundry. Like they all they want to do is get the dirt and the dirt alone with no regard for whose private information gets disclosed. And they That's even right. they even do like basically the worst thing that the most the worst betrayal that anybody does in this movie, which is like
1: barging in to the and interviewing the kids on TV while they're Th- first First threatening the housekeeper, and yeah. then barging in, and then interviewing the, saying their, their to their to the kids, their parents are going to die, and yes. they're like what are they, what are you gonna say to them, like odd, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous, right,
0: <laughs> like it, it, it was, yeah, like it was almost too much. I really wish they had gotten Jake Gyllenhaal to play the reporter and as his character <laughs> from <so> Nightcrawler, because <laughs> it's essentially what he's doing. Uh, which is yeah so that was again commentary but it's like it's very cut and dry news media bad news
1: okay. media don't know what they're doing yeah. exactly
0: yeah it is like okay well thank you very much for that and uh, <laughs> but okay and then there's one last thing i want to talk about before we can move on Okay, first off, this is not Al... What was his name? Al Powell? Al Powell. His name is Carl Winslow, okay? And <laughs> <That's> I <what? laughs> I believe that this is definitely canon for Family Matters. This happened okay. before Carl Winslow started his family and settled down, you know? <laughs> right, right, because he's going to have that child soon, yeah. Exactly. So just keep that in mind. But, so his story, right? He kills a kid. He kills a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gets put on desk duty that's terrible you're mm-hmm. you're a bad person okay you shot a kid <laughs> because they had a ray gun okay so yep. don't don't bring that up as just like a thing that yeah it just happens you know how it is i'm a, I'm a desk cop so you could probably assume and like, we could say this together john well i shot a kid right yeah we've all been there like it's <laughs> like, so i hate how how you know casual that is that he brings that up, but then later he supposedly they're obviously trying to complete his arc and redeem him yep. by having him shoot battle damaged Carl as he pops up for <laughs> one last battle damaged <laughs> Carl for what but he pops up for one last chance to kill people, and it's like. It, it's clear that like this is where Carl's supposed to be the hero. He pulls his gun out. Everybody else is dying for cover. He pulls his gun out and shoots and kills him. Mm-hmm. And then he sits there. He's like, he doesn't say this, but essentially he's like, "Wow, I guess it, it's it's a good thing that I'm so trigger happy, right? Like,
1: this, this, what like I'm redeemed? Like I right, guess my redemption arc is that I can shoot people again. <laughs> like, I was afraid I, before. I was afraid to shoot people, but now I'm not as afraid.
0: Like, <laughs> I guess some good finally did come out of me shooting people." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's like, oh my god is this such
0: a good lesson to learn is this net is this redemption necessary you know i feel like you could have taken this in a different direction but instead it's almost like well i know that it's bad that i killed that 13 year old kid for no reason but at least someone else died as a consequence of it you know <laughs> at least someone else I, I shot two shots, one good kill. That's right. an equation I can live with. Yeah, yeah, with.
1: that's it. That's yeah, one out of two ain't bad odds, basically. I would
0: love for him to see that. Oh man, Dad would be like, "One out of two
1: ain't bad." And then you're like, "That's right,
0: Al or Carl yeah. or Winslow." Well, that, you do. know,
1: that's what makes this an American action movie. It does. Is that the solution is? But shoot people, and when in doubt, shoot more people. So right,
0: right. Well, so it's okay if you kill an innocent. I'd rather a 13 year thirteen-year-old boys get shot to death as long, rather than one battle-damaged. One battle-damaged Carl,
1: battle damage Carl yeah, from the dead. Yeah,
0: but I do want to stress this is definitely canon for family matters. So that's who you're looking at when Carl Winslow is uh, dealing with, uh, you know, all the all the antics on that sitcom. Cool. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, let's move forward onto our cool Easter eggs, and what do you got, Joey? I got a small one. So, um, uh, Bruce Willis, his character, John McClane, uh, he claims that he likes Roy, Roy Rogers, who is a classic cowboy. Um, he's, uh, he's a classic Western actor. He was in more than 100 films. Uh, he was known as the King of the Cowboys. And he had a radio show that was, uh, and then a television program that was on for about nine years in the mid-1950s. And this is who, this is like the alias that uh, John McClane uses when he's talking on the radio before his true identity is revealed, calls himself Roy after Roy Rogers. And then um, he also gets the nickname from Gruber as Cowboy, uh, again, referencing Roy Rogers. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool.
0: I actually, um, oop, oh, I have a, uh, quote I think I want to play in, in conjunction with this, because it's the same time, so. I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really, really? like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy?
1: Yippee Kaye, motherfucker.
0: So, first off, this sets up the, or this this gives us one of the most recognizable phrases from this movie, the Yippee Kaye, motherfucker line, uh, which is great, very recognizable. But also, I, this was another chance for the movie to get a little deeper, because I thought it was interesting to criticize the, uh, like, quote unquote, bankrupt. American culture that Mm. uh that he's like kind of emulating but again I I I don't I'm not as familiar with all these old western guys that he's referencing but it feels like John McClane is supposed to be an iteration of these guys that's more modern and different because instead of being and again I don't know all these characters but instead of being like the the superhero kind of like uh gung-ho him up like main character male lead john mcclain is a different take on that where he's the reluctant everyman, uh even though he's kind of doing the same thing he is like a new iteration so when he gets criticized for trying to be those guys he can coolly say yippee-ki-yay motherfucker i'm different you know i'm built different mm. and i'm gonna be a different kind of like shoot up male hero
1: no i think that makes sense he's kind of a natural progression from that you know he's like like the the lone rider who rides into town, and like the sheriff and everything is corrupt, and he has to like take justice into his own hands because it's west, it's the West. There's yes. no law here in the West. Um, so like he, uh, it's, it's similar to that in a way, although it is you're know, like you're saying very different as well. And he kind of he kind of shows that as well, and I think, it, like we've been saying that this is kind of a prototype for a lot of action movies, and you can see lots of people referencing. Like a a diehard situation or uh, a John McClane type uh, in other movies, so it doesn't make sense to me that that like he feels like another another step in that line toward I don't know I, I guess our 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 stereotypical action hero you yeah might say. yeah so and- it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it also sets up for our finishing line. I think that it's just we kind of get two things out of this quote because this sets up for the uh, climactic scene between Hans and uh, John, where he says it again.
1: Yippee ki motherfucker. Well, Gruber says it this time. He doesn't deliver it nearly as well as McLean does. <laughs> yeah. The way he says, like the way he says, motherfucker, is so awkward in his mouth with his accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a great scene. It, goes, it comes all the way back
0: around. So that's Absolutely. fantastic. Um, okay, so another Easter egg that I've got. This is actually something I found on Wikipedia. So I'm just gonna read you an excerpt uh because I think they put it pretty well. But uh so before hiring composer Michael Kamen, uh McTier- John McTiernan, the director, knew one musical piece he wanted to include Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, commonly known as Ode to Joy, having heard it in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, another movie mm. we've done on the podcast. Kamen Objected to using the piece in an action film, he offered to misuse German composer Richard Wagner's music instead of tarnishing that of Beethoven. Once McTiernan explained how the Ninth Symphony had been used in a clockwork orange to highlight the ultra violence, in had a better understanding of McTiernan's intentions. In exchange, came and ex- insisted that they also license the use of Singin' in the Rain, also used in A Clockwork Orange and Winter Wonderland. He mixed the melodies of Ode to Joy, Winter Wonderland and Singin' in the Rain into his score Mainly to underscore the villains. The samples of Ode to Joy are played in slightly lower keys to sound more menacing. The reference builds to a full performance of the song when Gruber finally access- accesses the Nakatomi Vault. The score also references Let It Snow, Let It Snow, which of course plays at the end of the movie.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that all those songs were in there. I recognize Ode to Joy, and he's yeah. like singing it and everything. Um, and then yeah, when they it's it's not really clear what it is he's singing until they open the vault, um, and then it's it's way more obvious. But yeah, it's it's a it's, a, it's interesting. I love that uh, leap motif. Yes, there. no, definitely.
0: And then one last Easter egg is the uh, the vault contains an Edgar Degas painting called the Dance Class. I don't know if you caught this, but as they were, you know, there's more than just these. Banknotes or whatever they're called. Yeah, which, which actually Certi- yeah. certificates, you, like yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: participation certificates.
0: <laughs> yeah, you actually you mentioned that earlier, and we in in the in the synopsis, and we didn't have a chance to properly criticize it. What are they even talking about? Are we supposed to know what those things are? I don't. I was like, bail bonds. Like it sounds like it's money.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's money. I think it's money, but it doesn't look like money. I guess it's like I, I if it's bonds, then they're like you know, they're like promises of money, right? But they're like government-backed, I guess, which like makes sense that you would, I guess there are the certificates for that. But that also feels like something that you can, uh, I don't know, maybe the negotiable part means that you can... um, Make uh, them you can transfer it to another party or something I don't know I' don't, I don't know it like hardly anything about oh, yeah, it now, this is so. why we're
0: making a podcast and not robbing a Japanese <laughs> corporation <laughs> we don't know what this stuff is <laughs> but anyways that vault that they break into contains more than just those negotiable... Bonds. they mm-hmm. also have like statues and they had a painting in there and it's uh the dance class by edgar degas and and this is a really famous painting he's uh, he's like famous for having paintings of like ballet classes and like ballerinas and stuff uh if i remember my art have you seen this, this uh
1: this uh this piece before
0: i have that's why i i uh had to i didn't recognize i wasn't like oh there's oh. the dance class by edgar degas but it is a famous painting
1: i've never seen it actually i'm looking it up right now or
0: at okay. least i know
1: edgar degas, degas it's like a bunch of famous. like young girls in like tutus and stuff and they're all like, yep. dancing and there's a big mirror and there's um they're all kind of like people in the foreground standing on a stage or the background sitting on a stage people in the foreground looking at music and stuff there's like a yep. cello in the corner cool
0: And it's like, I don't know, I think that's just maybe something they threw out there for people who really get art. And they're like, see, Mm. you know how, you know, famous Degas is. So this is obviously
1: what is that reference in the movie, though? Like, is it because uh, Hans and McClane are doing some sort of elaborate dance around each other (laughs) throughout the building? Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Is it a reference to the choreography and the fighting scenes?
0: Or maybe it's just a reference to be like, look how valuable the stuff in here is. We're really pulling off a big time heist. I mean, it
1: could be just that, yeah, it could just be that, you know, Hans is a culture guy and he's like, I'm going to steal, I'm not just going to steal from any old bank. I'm going to steal from a place that has lots of art in it. That's what I'm about. I'm, a, I'm an art guy. Did I, did I make that clear? <laughs> well, I just wanted to point out that I'm low-key an art guy
0: because I recognize that it's a real painting. Uh, although well, I couldn't well, have named it. Without... Well,
1: hopefully you'll, you'll know it uh, when uh, Red tries to sell it to you on uh, Animal on Crossing. On Animal Crossing?
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, I think we're ready to move on to our quotable moments. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I've got the first one here. Mayday, Mayday. Anyone copying Channel 9? Terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building and are holding at least 30
1: people hostage.
0: I repeat, unknown number of terrorists, six or more, armed with automatic weapons at Nakatomi Plaza, Century City. That's
1: the best place to transmit.
0: Somebody answer me, goddammit.
1: The roof. Go, go! It's the same address as that fire signal. I'll handle it. Attention whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only.
0: Oh no fucking shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is kind of an idea I've already harped on, but I want to go back to like how this movie is satisfying in the way that John's response to the situation he's in makes sense. Yeah. He tries to get help in every way he can and it's kind of the systems around him that are incompetent as opposed to him because I got so mad at this lady's response to him. He says something that's clearly an emergency and she's like, "Sir, this channel is for emergencies only." And right. then he get he just immediately explodes on her, which is the proper reaction in that situation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I love his like like that's one of the things that make mclean so fun as a character is like he talks to himself you know he's always like telling himself like saying john yeah. i can't believe you got yourself into this situation <laughs> and uh and then like what he's always quick with a line with, with this sound. he's very quippy which i think is, yes. is fun um and this is another example of like bureaucracy gone wrong right like they're they like oh like you you can't order you can't order a uh a terrorist hit or like a you can't call it an emergency on the emergency line that's yeah. like not against protocol you know like exactly <laughs> right and but like <laughs> i I, like, I do like this too because like it goes back into al's um like commentary about john about how he like recognizes him as a cop or at least someone in law enforcement the the language he uses here is very precise very um you know the way he talks about like, in this situation clearly makes it seem like he's kind of some sort of professional, and he yep. like, knows how to assess the situation, um, which is cool. So that's like um, that's uh, uh, it should be a clue that this guy knows what he's talking about, and that's just some prank call, you know?
0: Right, exactly. And she, but she is like, "I'll handle this." I'll you handle know? this. And then so he gives her what she deserves in his response. So I, I like that. <laughs> okay, let's uh, one last quote for you here. <laughs>
1: This is their idea of Christmas. I got to be here for New Year's.
0: <laughs> but our, uh, our, so our man Argyle here, which is a great, that can, I mean, that can't be his real name, right? That's got to be his limo driver
1: name, right? This isn't it
0: Argyle, that, it's like a, What's it's a, a type of uh, pattern. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, yeah like naming... There's also, I've heard of kids named Paisley, which is a pattern as well, so. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point.
0: I mean, I was thinking, I don't know. I, I was going to bring a up cool a counter example and be like, you ever name your kid Plaid? Like, but I guess <laughs> Maybe Paisley I is a great counter example. So, uh, anyways, the point is, this is clearly setting up for the sequel, right? This has to be the sequel because if this is the one that takes place on Christmas, the, the, the next one is like John McClane on New Year's Eve, right? And then they'll have the one where it's John McClane on uh, St. Patrick's Day, and then they'll have the one <laughs> where it's John McClane day. on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. <laughs> like, all these <laughs> holidays can have uh, their own Die Hard, right? They, I know they have sequels. Uh, so is that what this is setting up for? The second one actually takes
1: place on Christmas Eve as well oh dang okay well maybe there's a deleted scene where they all drink together with argyle anyways (laughs) and i think the third one takes place in the summer actually because of the way they're dressed i can't remember though
0: well i just thought it was a i thought it was a hilarious scene or line to like almost beg to set up the uh the sequel which we know that there are sequels so anyways
1: uh joey i think. You know what time it is. I do know what time it is. It's time for us to go a little deeper. 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 So, um, this movie kind of has a lot a feel of a low budget horror film. We've talked about in other on our films how like like when they're making a low budget horror movie, you have to torture your actors in order to get the scenes you want. Um, <laughs> it, it feels it feels very scrappy, very ad hoc, and there's full of these little moments that seem like they are very authentic. And there's plenty of trivia I saw that kind of lends itself to this idea. For example, um, uh, uh, Gruber and McLean, when they first when they meet up uh, for the first time in person, um, Gruber is and Gruber is pretending to be a hostage in that situation. This was an unrehearsed part of the script, um, and this was meant to make that um, interaction more authentic. Um, from that direction. And also, as you mentioned earlier, when Hans is dropped off the building, the stunt guy, the stunt coordinator, uh, counted to, says he's going to count to three, but he only counted to two and then dropped him to get that surprised expression from his face. Um, so this movie, uh, the, the behind the scenes, they're dealing a lot with information and manipulating information to get better results. Likewise, the movie itself is about the flow and control of information. Throughout, McLean is attempting to mask his location and his identity. Even, though he, even when he finds an ally, he doesn't tell him his real name because he knows his enemies are listening. Holly, too, tries to keep McLean safe by keeping her last name a secret. This turns out to be a really smart move considering how that information aids Gruber in the end. This theme is present throughout the whole story. McLean spends his first few minutes after the criminals take over the building learning the different floors. He tries to learn the names of the criminals and who their leader is. He uses the information to intimidate, distract, and create mystery by himself. In that scene, in that uh, clip we just played, right, he took a gambling, he took a risk, a gamble on. Reaching the emergency services, right? By going on a channel that they knew that he, he knew they were listening to, right? So he had to be economical. He had to be quick. He had to be precise about what he was doing, right? And he knew that they were listening, but um, it was a it was a it was a uh, risk he had to take, basically. And that led to him being revealed immediately. As soon as he calls on the radio, Gruber knows where he is. The same thing with the fire alarm. As soon as he pulls a fire alarm, they figure out where he is and they go and find him. So the, 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 the use of information, the, the display of information throughout the movie is a, crudle, a crucial theme. And like um, likewise, when he's sending out for help from local cops, he gains the trust of Powell by using certain language. He communicates between the lines that he's a cop and that information gives him an ally on the outside. For a movie that's largely about one guy fighting off a small, very well-organized army, the role that intelligence gathering and manipulation plays a huge role, more than I was expecting. I find that really interesting. This movie does not trivialize knowing your enemy or attempting to understand a situation before you jump into it. McClane gets lucky plenty of times, but it is not his superior fighting skills or his precise aim that gives him the upper hand, it's the fact that he knows more than his opponents, and the application of that knowledge is to his direct benefit. I think this is like especially relevant today because we're living in an information age, but we're starting to enter into an almost disinformation age. Uh, you see how information is weaponized more and more. Nowadays, the wars are, wars are being fought online through the use and spread of information. And recently, we've seen how disinformation can really affect people. Disinformation about the coronavirus costs people their lives. The rise of cults like QAnon show how powerful even a bad idea can be. I think this is an unusual emphasis for a classic action movie to take, but I think it's very clever and thoughtful approach that um I think should not be understated
0: i think yeah, I think that's a great uh you know deeper topic to take away from this movie, uh especially with how crazy things I feel like we always feel like things are so crazy, but it feels like especially crazy right now yeah. I mean in this current moment, we've got a vaccine that's about to come out, and the current discourse is a lot of people deciding whether or not that is safe or a good, uh, despite whatever, to do. yeah.
1: Like the, the trust of like institutions, the trust of, um, you know, different entities that, that are normally like have some sort of authority, uh, has been is, like been eroding for years now, you know, and in large part from like direct action from our leaders. And that's like you know, the, 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 The the not like knowledge and information is so critical to our success in the world and our understanding of the world. And manipulating that is like manipulating our very reality. It's freaky stuff, dude. Freaky. So yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I really appreciated that part of this movie. So I thought that was a very cool part. Okay. Well, that
0: is going to wrap up our conversation on Die Hard. As you do at the end of every episode, we will deliver our ratings. And um, I'll go first. Okay. I give this movie a big old Christmas present with a Christmas bow on top <laughs> because it's definitely, undeniably a Christmas movie. Okay. <laughs> I went into this wanting to transcend the Christmas discourse, and I find myself firmly aligned with one of the
1: armies. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I know. I'm kind of disappointed <laughs> in myself. I, I am honest. too. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, you? I give this movie a gun that never runs out of bullets.
0: That's so true, dude. They were doing so many shootouts where I was like, surely they're going to make a point of how John is out of bullets now. It never comes up. He just I mean, he comes down to two at the end, but he always has as many bullets as he needs. That's a good one. Okay. Well, uh, Joey, what's next on Affable Chat?
1: Next, we're doing A Nightmare Before Christmas. Another... Definitely Christmas movie. No debate about that. We're doing Christmas episodes because it's Christmas time. And this is, I mean,
0: literally has Christmas in the title. So uh, how could it be anything else? You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you
1: listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow.
0: You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at affablechat on all three. Or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com.
1: We also have a YouTube channel where we upload, sometimes we upload episodes of the podcast, but also other things that aren't related to movies. Just search Affable Chat on YouTube will come
0: right up. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. Uh, that is it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.